Hello, and welcome to Roundtable, episode two of Dualistic Unity. I'm Andrew. And as always, I'm playing the part of Ray, and today we are joined by Tanya and Taylor. Um, before we get too far into the discussion, of course, I will give them a chance to introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about who they are and what they've been doing. We'll start with Tanya. Um, Tanya, I listened to a little bit of your podcast earlier this week. I've really enjoyed the conversation. How about you tell our audience a bit about what made you start the podcast, what the podcast is all about, and of course, a little bit about your history and what inspires you. Thank you. Um, my name is Tanya Gilbert. I'm an RN, CCRN in Santa Cruz, California. So I started my podcast two years ago, really diving into um, demystifying human transformation. And I little did I know that human transformation is a continual thing and consciousness is something that we wake up to and really embrace our continual transformation in that way. And I was lucky enough to come across some medical professionals in the psychedelic realm. And it led me to really dive into psychedelics as a catalyst for lasting, meaningful change. And of course, it has to be said that it's not a fix-all, but it is a space and an opportunity and a moment to redesign our entire life. So then it just let me, the snowball began and I'm having amazing conversations about psychedelic integration and I'm studying integration and um, doing the work as quite an outspoken nurse of, um, on this forefront. There are um, societies that gather nurses, but they're, they tend to be kind of quiet. I've never been quiet. I imagine myself as a mound of push pops and fireworks, ooey gooey and sticky. So I'm here to just share it all and, and I'm just grateful to be here. So thank you. That's amazing. We're so glad to have you join us. Um, so interesting as we start to find our own freedom. Andrew and I talk about this very frequently that it's almost like as soon as you stop thinking about yourself quite so much, you start thinking about other people almost naturally. And it's not even that you're thinking about other people so much as just freedom is one of those things that naturally just wants to be shared. And so it's great that you're doing that work, especially towards psychedelics and shifting our mindset and understanding again, that they're not a silver bullet, that they are in fact a doorway, they're a tool. Um, and that as a tool, you can misuse it, you can misunderstand it, and, and you, know, you can have a lot of assumptions about it. And so it's so good that you're, you're advancing information and knowledge in that direction because it's something that's sorely lacking. I know 20 years ago when I had my own psychedelic experiences, it was not something that you could bring up in a conversation. It was not something you could sit around a, a table full of even older people and bring up because there were so many uh, stereotypes and stigmas around that entire discussion. So it's great to see that you're doing that. And now Taylor, the same thing. Tell us a bit about yourself. I did have a chance to peruse some of your videos on TikTok mm -hmm. and Instagram. I love them. I think they're great. Um, I was looking at one about your most recent aha moment um, mm -hmm. today and how you realized that regardless of where you are on the journey, regardless of what it is you feel you might be lacking or what you might be pursuing, you are always the same whole and complete. Yes. awareness that you are. I would love for you to tell us a bit more about yourself and what inspired you and what you're doing. Absolutely. And I won't, I won't, I can't not say that mushrooms had a part in that aha moment because <laughs> uh, they did. So shout out to my mushrooms. <laughs> um, yeah. So, wow. It's not so often that I actually have to give a bio for myself. And I think the more you go into the world of, you know, raising consciousness and spirituality, you kind of have a hard time defining yourself more and more. So I obviously, I'm very fluid in these in these labels that I put on myself, but I am at the moment, I'm currently what I would call a spiritual life coach. And 
I think I've just leaned into the fact that I attract a very specific audience of people who think they're not spiritual at all, which I think is such a gift. Uh, I speak in, I try to speak in a language that's very inviting and not intimidating to people because I never felt called to spirituality in the way that I saw it in other communities. It was very, you know, not that I have any judgment for it. And I think it's beautiful, right? But there's a very airy fairy um, approach to spirituality. And then there's the religious, my religious friends. And I was always like, well, I don't really feel like I belong there. And I don't really feel like I belong there. I kind of like rap music, but I also like believe that there's God and everything. So when I leaned into who I am and accepted myself fully and showed up that way, I attracted a pretty large group of people who are looking for the same thing. And I teach spiritual lessons once a week to two different groups. I have one-on-one clients and it's just amazing to see the people that come to me. They're all very pragmatic, practical people, software engineers, lawyers, people in that went down the the, the more tra- um, traditional route in life to success, but have recognized that they're missing some inner success and inner peace. And I'm able to bridge that gap for them. So that's what I'm really passionate about. And that's what I do for a living. So that's me. Yeah, that's that's awesome to hear. It's fun to to hear stories like that because it's so I feel like it's so easy when you get into spirituality and seeing yourself as something bigger, but also nothing at the same time to kind of latch on to that spiritual ego. So keeping that in mind that that it doesn't have to go that way and almost keeping that lack of sense of self while also understanding that you are able here and now to have influence on things is kind of the, the key that I try to keep in mind for the most oh, yeah. part, because as this <laughs> sort of journey progresses, people, even other people will start saying that you are a guru or a teacher or something. So just keeping in mind that there isn't as much me as, as you may think can, can help, uh, you know, Absolutely. I'll say that I learned that lesson the hard way. Like most lessons I've learned that through pain (laughs) and a lot of struggle, um, asking myself like, well, can I be this and this, like, can I make peace with all parts of me? And that's also comes back to that aha moment of being whole. And I've just learned that, yeah, you can be all the things like you don't really need to, there isn't one type of spiritual person. When I started becoming more spiritual, I was afraid to show certain parts of myself. And I think that, um, the more I lean into that, the more I invite more people into the world of spirituality, because yeah, you can like nice things and not be attached to them. Like you can like making money and not see your value and how much money you're making. Right. So it's just balancing all these things that people feel like they have to choose between, um, that I've found. I had to learn the hard way I can accept. And now I offer that as well. <laughs> I think that might be the only way to learn it. I'm going to pass this back up to Tanya there. But the fact is, I think that going through the hard way is the only way to really drill it in. Otherwise, it becomes a superficial concept. And we tend to lose it when, when things get stressful. Absolutely, Ray. And I just wanted to say that that really leads us to the both and conversation. Like being able to hold back both at the same time. And sometimes we're learning um, often through psychedelic journeys that when things get really hard, the more we move into a state of let go, the more courageous we are at standing at the edge of the unknown and falling more into self-trust. The more we can let go, the more we have momentum to come back up. So we begin to like move a little bit more fluidly, remembering that all things in nature really have this constant of change and up and down. And so the both and, and then um, leaning into duality is like, you know, just a beautiful conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I get caught up in that idea all the time of like the shoulds and the shouldn'ts. And now it's, it's like, I was always such a rigid type of person with goals and structures. And 
And the last few months I've been less so I've, I've been much more free and just very much lacking structure. And, and there are times where it comes up where I feel like I want to set a goal or want to do something. And I'm like, no, I shouldn't do that. But then it's like, oh, there is no should or shouldn't. It's, it's that itself, that sort of mentality that there is a should or a shouldn't is what I'm getting out of. So it's almost like when you get to one side, it can, it can kind of pull you back to the other. Mm -hmm. And what we've talked about quite a few times on the podcast, because it's been something I've been going through for the last few months is just finding that balance, like going back and forth until you sort of like settle kind of like a pendulum swinging back to this sort of center balance of, of understanding that you can live in this illusion of duality while not taking it so seriously. And you can be involved in, in things like making money and want to make money and do all these things like Taylor said, without giving that understanding that that doesn't define you and your value. I love the, the conversation around like um, sexual identity, because if you talk to someone who is um, transitioning per se, they talk about, you know, people think that coming out of the closet happens one day, but it's actually this continual state of transformation and also let go and, and grieving of the previous life. And that happens to us when we wake up. It's like, we don't just wake up one day and everything's, you know, stagnant and still and, and one place of goodness. It's always going to be this continual emergence. So I just, I, I really like that analogy. Yeah. I actually, that analogy has come up for me recently a lot where I feel like I come out of my own little closets all the time and I have to present new versions of myself to the people around me and see how they're going to respond to it. Especially my dad, who is like a very traditional immigrant, you know, first generation American. Like he's just, you know, I mean, I'm first generation American. He came to America with no language nothing he's like what is wrong with you girl like you're going crazy I'm like no I'm actually doing great but I have to present like new versions of myself so I actually can relate to that and I use that analogy all the time because I think that it does take courage to shed that skin and sit with the vulnerability of being in that transition of growing new identity that you also know you're going to let go of eventually right so it's it's a constant process of coming out of the closet again and again and again in my opinion at least for yeah of course not to diminish what it's like to actually have to move through that but it is interesting because I spearheaded a movement with with this and I I totally agree it's like how many what's the new version today like you know totally uh, we're the more we know, the more we don't know. And the more we are ready to be open and listen and like that childlike wonder is where it's at. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting that, that vulnerability is, is so important to growing because when we're not vulnerable, we can't in any way be sensitive to the reality that we're experiencing. We can't be sensitive to the, the uh, situations that we're in or the opportunities that are in front of us. And it's because we have this idea of what's going to happen or what will happen or what we fear might happen. And it blocks us off from everything that's happening actually as us or, or to us. And, and so we have to accept vulnerability and yes. uncertainty just to have the ability to grow and to find that next iteration of ourselves. Otherwise, we're just locked in protecting ourselves from a fear that is perpetuated by our idea of ourself. So it becomes this, this vicious loop where it's like we become afraid, we double down on our coping mechanism, which makes us more afraid. You have to just go, I'm afraid, and just look at it in order to learn from it. 
Yeah, Ray, I really appreciated you telling me your story when we first got on here before we were recording. I mean, you did that so well. Like the more we can get in these groups and have these conversations and reveal ourselves, like they are so powerful. You know, the medicine is in these stories and this um, vulnerability and almost, you know, bearing the heart of nudity and, and reality because the more um, especially as I speak to people who are doing psychedelic work, the true people that are really on the path realize that a lot of our suffering is so the same and so many people are suffering. So how quickly can we get naked with people and tell, you know, in a metaphorical sense and, um, you know, just connect. It's funny. I give an analogy, right, about that vulnerability at the beginning of my my course where I say, it's kind of like you're wearing heels that are not only not comfortable, they're also just a little small and you're afraid to take your shoes off because you don't want to walk barefoot. Cause that also is not so pleasant to walk barefoot on the street, but then you find out you could actually wear Uggs. <laughs> like You could wear comfortable shoes and yeah, it's, you know, you have to take shoes off to put a new pair of shoes on, but there's also that period of time where you have to be brave enough to be barefoot um, and maybe expose yourself to some other forms of pain, but it's all meaningful. It's also, you can get to a place where you can put shoes that fit and put the shoes that you choose to wear and change shoes, you know? So, um, that always speaks to people. They're like, wow, that makes so much sense. I'm like, yeah, you know, you're holding on to these heels. Cause you're like anything but being barefoot. I'm like, but they're not comfortable. They're not serving you. You're really suffering while you're wearing them. So yeah, yeah absolutely. I just wanted to share quickly. Um, I had to take, I had to learn that lesson to such a degree at one point where I realized everything about my life in society, my, my apartment, my job, you know, my relationships, my friends, everything was something that I was perceiving through the lens of need and needed it right and, and whether or not I was working on myself or not whether or not I was I was trying to address that need it was always so easy to give into it just because they're your friends just because it's what's familiar it's what's what's known to you and and it, it got to the point where I had so much dissonance happening within me from from seeing where I wanted to go versus where I was that I actually just sold everything. I sold everything. I told the, the person I was with that I'm leaving. I'm going to the forest to build a shack and, and try and survive. And, and I did that. And she decided to come with me. So the two of us went to the rainforest of Vancouver Island. We lived in a shack for eight months in the forest. We built it out of scrap wood and stuff that we found down by the, the beach and the dock. And, and we were living off mussels and dandelions. And it was just eight months of, of cold, wet discomfort. And it was the most happy moment or part of my life I've ever experienced because there was no reason for me to be happy. It was totally choice. It was completely, I can access any emotion I'm in right now that that's available to me right now, which is all of them. So I'm going to choose this one. And that's what that taught me. Eight months later, the world no longer made a dent. I came back to society and it, it was no longer through the, the lens of need or opposition. It was I'm whole and complete myself, but I actually needed to take that step into that discomfort to realize what I was capable of. Beautiful, Ray. Thank you so much. That's gorgeous. Yeah, I feel like with when it comes to that vulnerability aspect, a lot of people have this idea of what it is, and and we kind of build up these walls and and try to not be. And even as you know, all of us are. are some creators to some degree trying to, for the most part, help people with their struggles. And I found it interesting when it comes to the vulnerability aspect, because a lot of times we think we know what people need. And the reality is that we don't. So a lot of times if I'm, you know, on a podcast or, or anything like that, and I, I try to express that there are times when I, when I'm kind of nervous going into a podcast and people think that showing 
this side of them where they are more vulnerable, that they're not maybe super positive, that they've been feeling down or something. I see so many videos of creators being like, I wasn't sure I was going to share this, but because I know you guys come to my page for positivity, but I've just been feeling down recently. I've been feeling very anxious and I'm watching that video and I'm like, this is probably the most helpful video you've ever made for people because people are suffering because they feel like they're alone in what they're going through and that they're the only one going through it. And the reality is they're not, everyone's just pretending that they're not going through the same types of things. So we never really know when it comes to that. So vulnerability, it just comes back to that because we never actually know, even though we have an idea because everyone says what right. you should and shouldn't do. Andrew, I actually want to say that I was going through my own little uh, darkness the last few days. Like I was going through my own little trip to, you know, that place where, you know, you kind of feel like, wow, maybe I forgot everything. I know nothing. Uh, it's such a dark life. <laughs> but I was, I actually thought of a video that you made when I was in that moment. I'm like, Andrew has moments like these too. And he's pretty woke. <laughs> so I wanted to thank you for that because it's, it really is helpful to remember that. Yeah. These are just, this is just kind of part of life doing, doing life. Like you're going to have these moments where you kind of lose sight of that truth and that energy or that feeling that awareness that brings you that those feelings of, of joy and happiness, you know, they, they come and they go and, yeah, I think seeing people like you say those things is really more helpful than, than you think. And I, I would also say people ask me all the time, like, where did this business come from? Because I didn't really plan to be a coach. I didn't really plan to teach people. It was just during when COVID started, I started to just share my own wisdom and things I was learning. And I was into spirituality, personal development. And I attracted a lot of clients from just talking about problems that I was going through and how I'm choosing to solve them. People saw themselves in me. And I always tell other coaches, like, when you show how you work through your own problems, people don't think of you as someone who knows more than them. They think of you as someone who can guide them through something they've been through. So yeah, I'm totally of that life and will always sh share both sides. I think it's just so valuable and so needed in this world more than ever. It's interesting to come from a nursing perspective because especially everything that I'm learning now with psychedelic in integration and sitting with our own discomfort, nurses and if there's any nurses listening we fix everything we will fix it so fast and so strongly you didn't even know it happened and the work that i'm doing now and what i'm hoping to really move into more is that we do recognize that everyone has their inner their own inner healer and in the psychedelic integration world we really just need to make space for that to happen so i'm stepping into this whole space of I don't fix anything and we sit as as uncomfortable as possible for as long as possible and I wow. have I have resolved as a mother and as a nurse my whole life every single problem and so this is a new world being on the edge of this unknown and um and I know it's for you guys too just being okay with the unknown and, and moving more into that self-trust it's it's a real fun place to be. So if anybody's out there that's still like hesitating, like, please just, just keep going. Like you will find that one foot in front of the other, the next best thing, the next best podcast, the next best per, uh, person to lead you to where you're running towards your passion. And that's one of the things that I just absolutely love about, you know, the psychedelic work is like, and, and I know Andrew can attest to this is falling back in love with your creativity and, um, and your ability to learn. I mean, oh, mm -hmm. it's just so juicy. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Uh, one thing when I was life coaching and I life coached for, for years before I, I, I stepped away from it, it was just 
the most useful tool was just acknowledging people feel things like and that it's normal to do so and that would be most of my clients they would come in expressing anxiety or you know just fear or anything like that insecurity all the result of just thinking about themselves and over committing to that mentality as, as a whole and i'd say well of course of course you feel that way and you could just feel the weight lift like what do you mean of course it's like well look at all, all the right. stuff you're juggling like look at all of the things you're holding on to of course you feel this way now be nice to yourself and let's acknowledge that now that we've recognized that it's changing it's already changing right it's just awareness it's just being aware of what's happening yes. and that awareness changes the path and so most of my life coaching was okay let's talk about what's happening see you later and then we go well, anything like do you want, want me to work on anything I'm like oh, here's an insight chew on that see what happens right? right but it was always I know as soon as you're out of here that your life will facilitate the next lesson. All you need to do is keep your eyes open, get yourself mm -hmm. out of the way. And that lesson will open itself up to you. It's always there. Like reality is always seamlessly integrated with whatever state of mind that we're going through. Mm -hmm. So the door is always there so long as we can see it. And so it was never on me as a life coach. I, I started, it was on me when I first started. I was like, I, ha I have to have all the, all the answers. And that was very stressful. And then I realized yeah. <laughs> they're me. They're the exact same awareness that I am. So when people say like, well, what would Ray do? And I said this in one of our podcasts, whatever it is you're doing, <laughs> trust yourself. You, you've got the answer. You just need to, to settle into uncertainty and allow your intelligence to start playing with it. I think one of, um, one of the biggest aha moments I had actually in the last year was the power of sitting with pain and not um, fighting it, resisting it, trying to get away from it. Um, and I think that's when that's when I was convinced that it's better to take the shoes off <laughs> because I was like, you know what? Um, I think it was in the untethered soul where he says avoiding pain causes deeper pain and more pain or different types of pain. And I realized, OK, well, if all options are painful, if all roads are painful, I want the, the road with the meaningful pain. I want the road with the pain that's going to bring about growth that has some form of, you know, process that I'm going through, not just suffering, unnecessary suffering for the sake of suffering. And I think that when people understand that yeah you can just sit with the pain and let the pain kind of wash over you and I see it like a wave you know swimming against the wave or running away from the wave just like stay still let the wave wash over you it's going to go back to where it came from you know it's going to wash back into the ocean so I think that's been one of the biggest lessons for me is even now like you know there's times in life where you feel like you're riding the wave the high the high wave and then you're, there's times where you're like oh a little bit lower at the moment I'm kind of in that place and, I, and I'm just watching it. I'm observing it. I think that awareness is so powerful when you're able to just kind of see it from the outside and be like, this is fascinating. I always tell my clients, when you see these things, instead of judging them, just call, call it fascinating because it really is interesting. Where did this come from? Where, what's, what is this, what's happening here, you know? Um, and that self-exploration has been so healing for me just to sit with it and try to understand it on deeper levels and not judge it or fight it. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times that suffering comes back to the idea that thinking that things should be at all different than they are, that you should be at all different than you are right now, or your situation should be at all different than it is right now. And understanding that it shouldn't. And beyond that, it, it couldn't because that is the way that it is right now. So having that additional resistance, like sure, there is pain. Sure, there are things that you go through. Sure, there are ups and downs throughout your life, but thinking that they should be different and they are is what layers on and like keeps that suffering just worse, makes it worse and worse. And, and thinking that things should be different is a lot of times what it comes down to. And I think something that's helped me is just understanding that I don't know 
where this situation is going to lead, like kind of relaxing into that uncertainty and realizing that even though this situation that I'm in right now seems objectively bad, seems horrible in the moment, I don't know. I don't know what this is going to lead to. I don't know what path is going to take me down. So relaxing into that ebb and flow of life and understanding that inevitably there's going to be ups and downs and understanding that I don't know what is actually good or bad because I don't know what something's going to lead to. I can't see the bigger picture. Just relaxing into that uncertainty has been a huge key for me. Yeah, the the element of allowing, you know, um, the DSM-5 doesn't have or say that as a human being, you're allowed to have certain amount of sad days. Like nobody tells you that. Like, like that's not, we, we don't have to diagnose ourselves all the time. We don't have to judge ourselves so hard. Like we are allowed to be human. And the best way to facilitate that ease and grace is knowing that you're not alone doing that and, and fostering community. I don't care who your friends have to be, but can you tell them the truth? Because those are your friends and they're so valuable you know yes I actually would love to raise a question that is something that I personally do struggle with sometimes but I've also recently heard a lot of people have asked me this question recently I'd just love to hear your guys's answer to it um people are like Taylor why doesn't this work bring isn't life easier when you know less right um and there's definitely times where I, I entertain that thought but I think that I suffered way more when I was unaware and unconscious than I do now at the same time, there's times where I feel like it's a lonely, it's a lonely place to be sometimes in this world, you know, when you see the way the world works outside of what you're aware of. Um, there are times where I feel very alone, you know, I feel like, whoa, like I really have to speak. I call it bubble language because people are in bubbles. Uh, I'm like, I have to speak in bubble language because I don't want to poke people's bubbles <laughs> like that are not asking for their bubbles to be poked. You know, people when I'm in with my dad's friends, when I'm with girls from my high school that just haven't gone through this path, I'm very much of the belief that you should be your philosophy and not preach it. I don't go around trying to get people to seek this truth. That's not my job. I've learned the hard way that that does the opposite. If anything, it does more harm than good. But uh, it's very rare that I come across people that I could speak to at the level that of my, my own awareness. And it sometimes can be lonely and it's sometimes not the most fun place to be in the world that we live in today. Even just being on social media, like I I consume way less content than I create. I don't follow any stories. I follow very specific people. But even when I find myself seeing things, it could take me down a very dark hole of like, wow, so many people are just not aware. So many people are not with it. (laughs) Um, And it makes me sad. And it also makes me feel like, okay, this is, this is a scary place to be sometimes, you know, maybe I kind of wish I was one of them. Maybe I wouldn't, wouldn't feel this way, but I would love to hear your own experiences because I'm sure that you've all either gone through this experience or you know are going through it and i'd just love to hear other people talk about it i just have to say that i've heard a lot um about you know obviously we have our own dark night of the soul but there is something that's happening as far as the dark night of the globe and it is heavy stuff watching the more conscious we be, you know become we really become aware of some stuff that are that's so heartbreaking that we can't even stomach it you know some i was talking in one of the psychedelic communities about just the plastic in the ocean, you know, there's stuff like that, that is just so heart wrenching and um, it breaks our heart, but we are still walking each other home. And so the more human and heartfelt that we can be in these spaces, you know, that's it. I mean, we're, we're not alone, we're together. And that's one of the benefits of psychedelics is that you really do feel that 
um, non-ordinary state of connection. And it's just so beautiful. Yes. And we don't need psychedelics to get there. Like you can be in a workout class that's extraordinary yes. or be, you know, listening to an authentic speaker that just breaks every barrier. Um, these are also non-ordinary states. So the non-ordinary is, is my personal answer. I, by the way, I think when it comes to the bigger things, I used to, I used to get there when I watched, you know, under become more aware of things on climate change. And even during the, the pandemic, like, I think with the bigger things, I've learned to surrender and kind of see it as, you know, well, not necessary, but I just kind of trust the bigger force of the universe that we are getting the, we're going through the same way I would apply to my own life. When I go through something hard, I seek the meaning in it and I see it as something that's leading me to growth. And I see that for the planet. And sometimes it even brings me peace to say, who said that this planet's supposed to exist for that long? Like who said, you know, like why, why, like, sometimes that brings me peace, but it's more in my day-to-day -day interactions where it's like, of course I can carry light and spread light and see that it works. But sometimes I'm like, wow, there's just, it's, it's um, hard to find people to speak to on the light at the level that I, that I can speak to them. Um, and that sometimes just makes life very difficult. If that makes sense, you know, social interactions, small talk, you're just like, wow, I'm just putting a mask on and playing this game. And I really am not of this life. I don't know how to explain it like you're better, but I see Andrew and Ray and you also funny you guys are laughing because you probably know what I'm talking about, but I'd love to hear more. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I know this one well. I feel like I'm right in the heart of that sort of experience. Right I can now. tell. Yeah, I've talked to Ray. We talk about this on the podcast. We've talked about it like offline, like off recorded episodes. And I had a point, was it like two and a half weeks ago that I was just so overwhelmed? It was on a Sunday and, and Ray said he could tell that things were getting heavier for me. And I was just like, I just cried for like a full day. I, I didn't even have specific thoughts as to why it was just like this weight and just overwhelm of sort of uncertainty and, and what I wanted to do with things while also being sort of awake in this dream that, that I was getting pushback from people who thought that I was acting much differently than I should be and people I had relied on in the past to, to sort of have this comfort and all the things and identity-based things that I used to rely on in the past were not there and a part of me would like wanted to cling to them so bad and I was like fuck it was like my ego is like Andrew just just grab on just grab on I got you yes. and I'm like no but then at the same time I didn't feel good either so it was it was difficult to not do so and it's kind of become a choice every day because I know that nothing that I do will add anything to myself whereas in the past it was like this sort of hope to add things to myself. And I was talking to Ray about this recently, how what people don't realize, I think, when, when you start being less afraid of things because there is less identity involved in things and less of this egoic kind of illusion that you're trying to build up, but also simultaneously afraid of getting torn down. When you're no longer afraid of it getting torn down, you're also know that there's nothing that's going to build it up. So you don't get that like, kind of feel good build up type thing. I don't even know how to describe it. So like that isn't there either. So you're just kind of settled in this neutrality and yes, settled into, yes, this moment of like infinite potentialities, but it's so unknown and, and uncertain and 
all of those things that it's kind of uncomfortable because it is so new. So I'm currently in that state right now. And what I'm finding is that, yeah, like I've had a pretty busy week with like work has been very busy, but then I also have had a few guest podcast appearances and just like interviews and stuff like that. And I'm finding that like going into those, I'm, I'm excited for them and I'm really enjoy them. And talks like this is what I really enjoy doing. So just continuing to do more of those things and kind of express these ideas authentic and as vulnerably as I can is really what I'm passionate about. So just doing more of that, I think will naturally kind of ease those discomforts, but I know that it's, it's a process as well, and it's not going to happen overnight, but at the same time, it's going to happen now whenever it does. So yeah, that's a little bit of what I've been going through recently. (laughs) That's great. Um, I've been at this for a long time. I I, uh, I woke up when I was about 21. I'm 42 now. Um, so about half my life I, I've been working. Respect. <laughs> um, under the awareness that I'm not what I think I am, right? And that no matter what I think I am, it's just a facet and recognizing everybody's me. And when I first woke up, that was actually really quite difficult because I think it was like 2003, 2001, 2002, somewhere in there, but it was after 9-11. Basically, everything in the world was not in a happy place, and everybody was very afraid. And here I am saying, like, you know, there's nothing to fear. We're all one. Blah. That was not received well. Um, that that upset quite a few people. And I was not the kind of person. See, I, I I don't because I came out of hell. I was so very ang- angry when I woke up at all of the things that had that I blamed for putting me to sleep that I was just tearing at all of them. I didn't care what it was. I was talking to government officials. I was talking to priests. I was going into temples. I was just like, hey, let's talk. And that didn't always go very well. I upset a lot of people and I caused a lot of turbulence. But in that, I also recognized that there's a certain sensitivity that you develop over time. You start realizing that sometimes turbulence is good. Sometimes it's just not worth it because if you're, if you're viewed as the source of what's irritating them, they're not listening to your point anymore. They're looking at you. Right. And so it's being able to feel that it's like, when am I the problem as opposed to what I'm saying? As long as what I'm saying is the problem, we're having a dialogue. But as soon as I'm the villain, the conversation's over. And so over time, I more or less learned to keep my head down uh, to a very large degree. I had a YouTube channel when I first came out of the rainforest and I was making videos about um, the law, the uniform commercial code government, religion, everything else. And I was upsetting quite a few people, but I was also getting a lot of followers. And those followers started looking at me in a way that made me uncomfortable. They started looking at me in a way like, oh, Ray has all the answers. And so I shut down my account. I, I, I left YouTube behind and I spent the next 15 years or so just working on myself um, under the, uh, the, the insight that who am I trying to convince if it's just me, right? It's just me. So it's just getting it myself. And so I worked on that. And then last December, my daughter's like, you know, get onto TikTok. And she bugged me about it for like two months. So I'm like, fine. So I did. So I did that. But over those 15 years that I was silent, you go back and forth between being happier awake and then wondering why the hell you're awake. Like what the hell woke me up in a world that's essentially still sleeping for the, for the most part. And, and so at one point I'm like, yeah, look at me, you know, I woke up and then I'm like, I didn't though, because there was really no reason that I should have. So it more or less just happened, right? So there's no me to wake up. And, and so you oscillate in and out of this idea of yourself. And that's what causes the isolation and the loneliness. That's what causes the borders. It's all of a sudden, I'm alone. 
Yeah, in that you're all one. So I mean, alone is very much the saying as 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 it's the same as saying whole. Yes, you are whole. That is correct. There is no one else outside of that wholeness, right? But that just means everybody's you. So you're never alone in that you're always whole. And so you kind of go back and forth with that. And I did for a very long time. And admittedly, the only thing that made that isolation end was the recognition that it was always revolving around the illusion of myself. Always. It always came back to, I think this, done. As soon as I was in that, I was in the trap, right? Because all of our illusions mm -hmm. start with I. Right. And so as I let that go, I started experiencing more sensitivity and more empathy. And what's funny is that I go into a conversation now, almost not even touching the idea of myself. And I'll dance through that conversation like it, it, it's a fun beat to dance to. And, and I'll come out the other side. And as with the podcast, I'll go, what did I just say? <laughs> because I don't know. And it doesn't matter because I'm just serving my purpose. Because again, we are whole. Yeah, and, and this is life. Like this is life happening right now. And it's not easy, but it is so beautiful. And we're given this opportunity to see the sunrise and then the sun sets, segmenting, you know, these days and giving us an opportunity for a more ritualistic life. Like we're given this again and again. And and there's people in our life that really need to have conversations or to have that next hug. And it's just a, you know going back to the idea of we are just here to walk each other home it's like this is the campfire like sit here in the day um i don't know if it's just because i'm on the west coast but i don't i don't feel um alone the more i learn the more i see that there are just fantastically beautiful humble people doing incredibly gorgeous poetic work and um and we're really rising. I mean, we are rising up and connecting and sharing and inspiring others. And um, that is just so beautiful. That's my favorite thing is to, you know, raise up that flag and to hold it strong. Look at my flag and like, you know, look at your flags. Like, let's do this. Everybody can do it. We can make it through to another day of that ritualistic life. Yeah, I honestly, yeah, I think I just get, I even get overwhelmed by how good, how much good there is, you know, also like, it's not even just this overwhelming feeling of how many people are asleep. Even when I come in contact with people who don't, where I meet them where on deeper levels and they maybe have even met themselves and I could see the beauty of their soul just shining from them. It's, I could, it can bring me to tears genuinely. Just, I love human beings. I love connecting with people and sometimes it's like I'm also resistant to the light the light is also really powerful and overwhelming sometimes like I sometimes feel like if I actually genuinely walked out into the world the way I feel internally how grateful I can feel how present I can feel that's also very overwhelming um so it's about finding this balance of like how do I how do I stay sane honestly is the question like yeah I'm really I'm, I'm really afraid at the grocery store like to be honest like I don't know why and my husband was always the one who was having anxiety in the grocery store I totally do not like the grocery store anymore and so that's weird so in that way I'm like this totally sucks I don't I feel zero connection in the grocery store you know I guess what I'm referring to more is just you know because I'm a podcaster myself and like you know just doing learning and in all these cool groups so in that way I do but in the real reality of going to the grocery store I am like get in and get out as fast as you can and that's totally new you know Things are definitely changing. I, I will say that in, in the last 20 years, I've, I've watched it. I, and just like I said, when I first woke up, having this conversation was not fun. It was very much, oh, what did I do? 
I'm going to leave and, and just stop. At one point, I remember somebody calling me a nonconformist, which was funny to me because it's like, where did you even get that word? You're like 18. Um, but the point is, is that over the last 20 years, and I think this is exacerbated by the discomfort that our system is causing, because our system is egotistical, right? It doesn't know anything except lack and control. And so every time it, it comes around and, and does what it's designed to do, which is create lack and need control, somebody ends up getting ostracized. Somebody ends up getting oppressed. Somebody ends up getting uncomfortable and they have to almost open their eyes and look at the world for what it is. And so we have the fall or the economic collapse in 2008 and then Occupy Wall Street, what's happening now with the trucker convoy and everything else. I mean, these are all things that are making a larger and larger and larger portion of our society recognize that this society isn't built for them. And right. yeah, and the same thing can be said about the, our healthcare system right now in the in the psychedelic renaissance. Like we're having this huge cultural shift again, and this um, incredible lack of sacred space and depth in our healthcare. And it's um, we're really being asked to step up, and um, it's shaking, it's ground shaking. So healthcare, oh, my heart just goes out for. I just hope that we can hold each other better. It's really scary because I feel like even collectively, it's I'm afraid to shed the ego of our collective, like, you know, the systems like I could feel within myself that I've gone to a place where I kind of find this groove where I can be I have the courage to like shed the skin and vulnerability and everything. And I'm like, reinvent yourself. But sometimes I ask myself, wow, if everything like am I ready for that collectively? Sometimes I even feel my own resistance to seeing the world change. And that's something that maybe I don't say out loud as much as, you know, very often, but um, it's the truth. Like, and, and I think it's, it's just to validate that it is scary to change. It is scary to let go of what's familiar. It, even if what's familiar isn't serving us on the highest level. And I recognize that there is a part of me that's like, wait, do I actually want everyone to wake up? Wait, do I actually want to have everything be fair and equal, which is absurd because obviously yes, but there's, it's funny when you realize that even collectively you hold on to the ego, you're, you're still attached to these things because you're so afraid of the unknown and what's unfamiliar to you. Um, so yeah, there's this um, group called open nurses and I just kind of have to bring this up because it's um, speaks to the point of people not being ready for change. And they're always like, okay, you gotta be really quiet because there was a, a nurse in, um, uh, Tennessee or something that spoke about her psychedelic experiences and she was reported to the board and they decided that she had a drug problem and it just got really bad. And I'm thinking, who are these people that don't want healthcare workers to start looking outside the box? Like, who are you? Like, we, we have to, we have to hold each other better. So it's just crazy, but there are, and not to say that you feel that way at all, but, but yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes. It's terrifying. Yes. We're at the edge of the unknown. And I'm so glad you said that because we can talk about, oh yeah, we're, you know, sitting in our own trust of the unknown. Like Andrew said, this is new. This is new for me. And this it's hard every day. It's like, okay, I have no idea where the, where the pieces are going to fall. And I sit and, and I do my due diligence in waiting and not pushing. And that is so hard, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like realizing that on the other side of that, you know, fear and, and worry and all of that, it's not all sunshine and rainbows necessarily, but, and while it is uncomfortable, it's, it's happening and it's gonna settle and and things are happening in our society across you know psychedelic legalization hopefully you know within the next decade or so um with cryptocurrency all of this is sort of going against 
the system kind of simultaneously. And they may not even realize all the time with things like Ray has, Ray has spoken about um, Canada's laws with psychedelics have been have been shifting and they're legalizing. I mean, uh, marijuana is, is legal across most places now. And then psychedelics like mushroom psilocybin are medically legal now in Canada. So it's like, while at the same time, they are restricting us in so many ways with lockdowns and, and all that stuff, we don't have to get too deep into that. But, um, but then at the same time, they're legalizing all these things that promote freedom and free thinking and openness and kind of the ability, not necessarily that it's going to guarantee anything, but more of an ability to wake up and then see things for how they are and see things a little bit more clearly because for so long we have promoted things like alcohol and drugs like that, that do not promote clarity. They, they promote fuzziness and trust in the system because they keep us down and things like that. Whereas now, while at the same time, they're trying to, to squeeze hold very tight. They're also doing all of these other things because we're almost, it's almost their hands getting forced in a way that they're not able to keep it down as much as they would like. So they're like, okay, we'll, we'll give them that and we'll give them that, but then we're going to take away this. And, and they're trying to do all these things at once, not realizing that at the end of the day, that they don't have the ultimate control, though they think they do. And, and as you can see, the more that comes out, like for cryptocurrency, for example, they, they come out with all these things about how it's not energy conscious and they're doing everything they can to kind of promote this mentality of, oh, it, it's not what we want. Well, at the same time, the current systems, you know, Ray has mentioned, like they don't look at how much energy banks consume. Like we have a ton of physical banks across the, the world. Like, why aren't we looking at, why aren't we comparing the energy usage there? Cause you'll never hear about things like that. So it's, it's happening whether, whether we like it or not. And I'm, right. I'm behind it. <laughs> yeah. That's a really it. good point. Isn't it? Cause you were saying that on the one hand here, in the, here's the system that's perpetuating, you know, oppression and control and doing all that. And on the other hand, you have people who are pushing psilocybin, psychedelics, other mentalities, you have people like ourselves who are having this conversation. And, and so this is always my point in, in that when you look at the world, the world as it is, and, and, and our idea of it, it can get very dark. They can get very, it's just like looking at a company or a government and going, you know, oh, they're, they're oppressing people. But that company is not the company. That government's not the government. It's made up of individual people. And all of those individual people have different mentalities and different intentions and different, and, and different uh, experiences in their life. So you have an organization, you can go, oh, well, that government's evil. But some of the people within it are trying to do good things, not recognizing that the nature of the system they work within. And so instead of trying to topple governments, instead of trying to topple uh, institutions or structures that have been there forever, it's just about this conversation. It's just about clarity and expressing clarity and sharing clarity and experiencing freedom. And as we do that, our priorities start to shift, but it's not going to be until that priority shifts that we see the world changed in, in the way that we're, we're talking about right now. It's kind of like I asked somebody, um, I think this is one of my earlier TikTok videos, but if I told you, you would never be afraid of judgment again, would you be willing to give up judging others? And oddly, a lot of people said no. And it's just because that is their entire basis for value. They don't understand how else to live, how else to evaluate themselves, how, how else to have that sense of certainty. So they're like, they willingly perpetuate their own pain because they haven't recognized that the benefit that they've committed to is the source of that pain. And so all we're doing is we're just questioning the carrot that we've been repeatedly offered 
in terms of certainty and control and identity. And we're going, it's a poison carrot. It doesn't actually have the reward that you think it does. And as we start to recognize that, our priorities shift automatically, right? But we're, we're so used to the idea of change by force. Somebody actually said this to me once. They're like, the only way to change somebody is to change their, is to force their opinion to change. It's like, no, you can lead by example. You can just change yourself and then allow them to do whatever they want. Oddly enough, that person later on, years later went, I don't understand you, but I've always wanted to. And so I'm starting to think about it. It's like, exactly. It doesn't require us to do any work, right? It's just about who you are and everybody kind of takes you know, their own direction from there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I know that the Dalai Lama, for example, was asked um, if he, how to work with our own inner critic and everyone, you know, in the West, like we have this in extraordinary, you know, speaking to judgment, extraordinary inner critic. And it was really a concept. He's like, I thought I knew the mind, but I, I don't understand that. And if you look at how, um, you know, in that area of the world, children are raised so much differently. It's so, there's so much grace. So I think that, you know, we can look at the world from our, our Western perspective, but we are raised in a culture where we do develop this intense inner critic and it the inner critic does kind of feed into that capitalistic model that we're just so frustrated with so the the west is like sitting with this at this place of like okay the best way to work with that inner critic is to forgive let go forgive let go forgive let go until we can get to a place to where it's 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 a non-issue but we're we're kind of particular in the way that we're raised in this in this culture. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, we've talked about that in the past, and and I've talked about that idea of judgment. And it's interesting how if I post a video about you know like people really aren't thinking about you as much as you think, a lot of times people will be like, "No, you're wrong. I think about people all the time." So it's pretty funny how, and I'll admit this for myself, like our perception dictates our reality. So, so for me, I don't really think about other people very much, not in like a selfish way. I just, right. I just don't, I'm a busy guy. Like I don't have much time to think about other people very much. And even when I do, I just see them as, as another version of myself. So it's like, you know, what is there to judge anyway? They've just been on a different path than I am. Like, who am I to judge that? So I find it fascinating when people are like, oh, well, I judge other people. And then those are also the people following me, like hoping to overcome their yes. anxieties and whatnot. So it's like, what if you started, as Ray just mentioned, by not judging other people, and then maybe you would see that they aren't judging you as much, or you wouldn't yeah. notice it <laughs> as much, because it's almost like we, we notice in other people, all of our own insecurities in that way, like we're always just judging ourselves. So maybe if you stop judging yourself <laughs> and stop judging everyone else around you, you wouldn't feel so much judgment simultaneously. Yeah, I that actually, so go, go ahead, Tanya. Oh, sorry. I just can't believe that people reach out and say that. I'm also like you, where I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. So that's a very unique and interesting perspective. I wanted to say that I actually went through my own experience to learn this. And I, and I tell this to people because most of my teaching is taught through my own self, you know, journey and my experience. And, you know, I was raised in LA and always was, you know, everything was about how do you look? What car do you drive? What bag do you have? And like, I think just deep, I never deeply connected to that, that measure of self-worth. And I always was fighting my environment, but at the same time, trying to be accepted by it, uh, which also led me to leave 
LA as soon as I could. And I actually moved to the Middle East when I was 18 by myself and joined the army and also did my own little version of getting rid of all materialistic things, um, which we can discuss. You can ask questions in a minute, but um, I told people that when I used to walk into a room and look at how people are dressed and if they gained weight or lost weight or what plastic surgery they did, then I carried the belief that there are more people like me in that room. But as soon as I walk into a room and I don't give a shit what people look like and what bag they're holding, like what bags on their arm or what their husband looks like, then, then at least I have hope that there might be someone else in the room like me. And I know that there are for sure people in the room that are like my past self, but I know that it comes from a lot of pain and I have compassion for those people. So I kind of recognize that if there are people judging me, then I recognize that as their own judgment for themselves, their own, you know, prism that they're living life through. And as long as I'm the one person, or at least I'm experiencing this, this, um, I'm walking into this room without judgment. I know there might be someone that like me, like that's, that answers the question in my opinion, when I answer that question to people, cause they say the same thing to me, Andrew, and I'm like, people aren't thinking about you as much as you think I get that response as well. I give them that answer. I'm like, no, there probably are people who are thinking about you, but you could also have compassion for them. Cause that's not a fun place to live from. And the, there are also people who aren't, and you want to be one of those people. It'll help you believe that they're there once you're one of them. So that's my own personal experience. Wow, with that. So interesting. You know, I come from a background similar to Ray's. Like I was on my own really young and like, it was crazy. So I'm really curious to see what you think, Ray, like where, where was your mentality as far as, cause I, I can't imagine you being consumed with what at, at any point. Well, after you woke up with what people think. No, no. After I woke up, I started realizing there were no other people. And that, that very much changed the entire experience for me. And I just realized that no matter what I was projecting onto somebody else, it was, it was always me. And even if, if that person started acting out what I was assuming they were going to do, that was still me. Right. So it just gave me another opportunity to, to learn a bit more about another part of myself. And that's very much how I look at it when I'm in a room full of say people, I'm looking at myself at different varying stages of my development, right? Like I'm a parent and my daughter's 14 and over the last 14 years, I've watched her develop egotistically. It's something I talk about in uh, Discover Transcendence is a video I made, but it talks about Jane Lovinger's uh, stages of ego development, basically. And that we have to have an idea of ourselves in order to figure out how we fit in the world. And we develop that idea over time. And then we, we take it seriously to the point where it becomes a source of conflict and in the stages of ego development we're supposed to continue questioning it but our entire culture is based around the idea of identification right and so the same is true in a group of people when I go into a group of people I'm well aware that a good portion of those people are probably self-absorbed because that's where we start it's not yeah. a judgment that's just the way we grow and more the more people go through hardship discomfort the more that they realize they're not their idea of themselves the more that they're willing to have the courage to step outside of that narrative that they become used to the more they can empathize the less that they judge right and so typically when i'm in a room full of people i'm aware that the people who are judging me don't even see me and and the people who aren't judging me are me right so i i have a great time in general and even with the people who are judging me at one point I used to steer clear of them because it was like, oh, I don't need that energy, blah, blah, blah. But they can't take anything from me anyway. There's nothing they can hurt, right? So now I have fun with it. I actually throw them a couple of things that they can just make assumptions on. And then that's I that's the best place the to be. Conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Best. It's like, you know what the lesson is here? Don't make assumptions. 
I'll tell you who I judge. Um, my husband, like he is an emotional cement block. And I learned to incredibly value that because that cement block will anchor any storm. It's beautiful. But the more I was able to judge my husband um, emotionally as like, okay, I'm like, there's a tunnel to your cement block for your two-year-old self. Like I had this whole conceptualization, but then I started to see, well, if he's a cement block, what am I? And when I first introduced myself, I said, you know, I'm like this mound of melty, sticky push pops and a firecracker. Like I'm a freaking wild disaster of excitement. And it's just interesting when we take that conversation of the outside world and bring it back to our personal relationships. Like who, who more do we judge than our partners, you know? Yeah, no, I, I feel that I've been married for 17 years. Now this is the, the, the woman who came out to the rainforest with me. So she knows me more than anybody else. I, I mean, Andrew and I talk once a week. She's been with me for 17 years while I just work through this stuff. And, and so wow. uh, you're giving respect, me so much right? hope. You're giving right. me so much hope guys, just so you know, like, huh. <laughs> no, because I kind of have come to this place where I'm like, okay, I think the more I evolve, the more I'm giving up on finding someone who I could actually vibe with because no date, like imagine, imagine going on a date and, and knowing these things. And like, most people are just like, trying to have conversations and you're just like wow I really just will come off looking like a crazy person if I actually talk to you honestly so I have to really navigate navigate that world very carefully and I've kind of given up on it for now um but it's you guys are giving me hope because that's usually what it works out yeah for sure I usually I mean I don't I'm very like unattached to it but I'm very um I have this misconception or probably a limiting belief that the more woke you are, the more, the more lonely you're going to be in life. Um, not actually lonely in the sense that, you know, you can feel connected to everything, but that you're, it's harder to find someone to connect with on that level. So I'm very yeah. happy for you both. <laughs> well, we need, to, we need to heal the brain, like the brain, we, because of the foods in our lives and the practices and, you know, the poor choices that we use to resolve our, you know, dissonance, alcohol use disorder, whatever, we've really hurt our brains. And so we are dealing with people that don't have healthy brains. So that's where like, you know, psychedelics really come into play. Like my husband is. Um, so I'm going to micro, I'm going to put some shrooms in my, in my dates drink next oh, time. <laughs> You know, people will talk about MDMA as healing marriages, but it's not, it's not the, the only thing. Like my husband's doing ketamine therapy right now with a physician and I have never felt so um, intimate with this cement block as we can, you know, hold hands in the evenings, um, what he's able to do with it. So I just feel like, yeah, we're talking, I guess if we take the conversation away from woke and um, still unconscious. To me, I really look at it from the scientific perspective of like those brains need neuroplasticity. Where can we find it? And we can find it in, in an array of non-ordinary states. Like we need to heal our brains. We don't understand anything about the brain. We know everything about the heart and the lungs, but we are yet to discover so much about the brain. So it's like, I'm just so excited for where we're going with the default mode network and kind of understanding how we can reset ourselves and how we identify and our judgment of the world and our relationships when we start to work with this whole new exciting um, arena. That was a challenge for me when, when I first met my wife. Um, I had been single for a little over three years and it was largely because my last relationship was before I woke up and it was just a raging dumpster fire largely on me. I'll, I'll accept the responsibility for that. But so I just didn't want to do that. And then, and then I found myself, I woke up and I didn't want to surrender that. And then I met my wife, Melissa, and we started talking 
And it, it got to the point where there were several times where I could feel my old, my old need to be liked pop up. And I would deliberately say, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not surrendering myself. I remember we had a conversation early on where I said, if I ever need you, I'm leaving. And it's because I'm no longer myself. Right. And that you don't deserve that. And neither do I. I know where that's going to go. And she was not happy with that answer, with that answer wow. at all. I mean, that did not go well. <laughs> right. But um, eventually it, it did work out because we kept talking about it. And, and in the first three months of our relationship, she would either storm out of my house every day or I would kick her out. That was our relationship for the first three months because we came from such polar opposites in our experience. And so the idea behind it was it doesn't matter how many times we argue. What matters is when we give up. What matters is that we're not willing to find that middle ground, that we're not willing to go through that turbulence and wear down this idea of ourself that's causing that conflict. And, and so in order for a relationship to work, in my opinion, in this mentality, you have to be willing to let it go. You have to be willing to let it, to, to let it just fade away if that's what it's meant to be. And you have to be honest about it going through it because as soon as you feel trapped, as soon as, as, soon as you feel like you've promised to be in this relationship, you're no longer in it right? It has to be day to day. Because what I said to my wife early on is that I, if I, I'm never going to commit to you. I'm going to commit to today. If that's not enough, it's ne it never will be. And that was very difficult for me because I came out of a life where I was extremely needy. I didn't have parents. I didn't have much of a support structure. I wanted people to love me. That was a good portion of my toxicity. And so when I woke up, I had to, to fight all of those habits, but I was so clear in the freedom that I was feeling in myself, that it was easy to do. Whereas before, when I was struggling to find that idea of freedom, I would have given it up just for the, the sake of feeling better. You really wow. give voice to the fact that it's okay to be a dumpster fire when we start relationships. So that's uh, totally true. I mean, be that raging dumpster fire with that other raging dumpster fire until you figure it out. And now we're just a little bit less of a dumpster fire. <laughs> and I know that I don't want to be a dumpster fire without my cement block of a husband. You know what I mean? I I'd honestly, um, in my last relationship, I had this moment where after two relationships before it, that of course I came from a very broken home and was looking for building home with another person, finding home in another human. Um, this third serious boyfriend that I had that, you know, we broke up recently, not recently, but like seven months, eight months ago, when we first started dating, I got really scared of that idea of commitment. And so I kind of made a joke where I was like, how about we just say, I love you for now. <laughs> and every time we say, I love you, let's just say, I love you for now, or you're the love of my life for now. Um, and it became a joke, but it was also after a really deep conversation of me coming to that realization that I want to choose you on a daily basis, which also led to a really beautiful conscious uncoupling at the end of it, uh, where we didn't hold on to something that didn't make sense anymore. And I never felt more loved by another person than being let go with, with grace. And when I decided to break up with this person, he was like, you know what? I, I love you so much. And I see that this is good for you. And even though this is really hurt, like painful, I love you enough to let you go. And that was the most love I've ever felt in my life, genuinely. Um, and I guess if, it, you know, people who come from broken homes, it's really easy to be very cynical and be like, okay, nothing can last. And I was like, you know what? I'm willing to have another 30 experiences like that, honestly, like to love a person, to, to vibe with them, to connect with them deeply and to also maybe like, let it go. Um, there's something really beautiful in that and so healing in that. And I think people are so unaware of that being an option. I definitely didn't see that as something that could, I always thought relationships have to end 
with drama and just toxic and just terrible, terrible experiences, but really true love when you have a conscious relationship, when you're able to see it as a day-to-day choice, the letting go could also be really beautiful and healing as well and not as as dramatic as it is normally. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of have like this conversation. um, This is super embarrassing. But, um, you know, I like to integrate everything in the evenings. Like I'm a super, I want to talk, but my husband can't talk. And one of the things I've been talking about is like, you know, if I lost you, I would miss you so much that even if I had an opportunity to smell your BO, I would. And I'm like, so what about you? Like, if you lost me, like, why this question is important to me, I have no idea. Would you want to smell my BO? And my husband, I mean, it's a repeating question until I feel like I'm going to get the answer I want. He's like, no, there is no way that I'm ever going to miss you enough to want to smell you. (laughs) So we're all just coming from different places there. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's pretty funny. I had a, I had a relationship and a similar amount of time ago, about seven or eight months ago. And it was, it was not like a, a clean, loving break off necessarily. And I realized, cause it was one of my first more serious relationships. And early on, I think there was, there were a lot of ideas of each other happening. And I feel like posting content publicly is sort of a double-edged sword when it comes to dating because people will get an idea of who you are, but they'll get an idea of who you are. So, so coming into it, they have this idea of who you are and this sort of expectation of, of how you are. And for me, I'm, I've always been sort of like, I don't know, lone wolf kind of person where I, I don't need, like I've always had a decent amount of love in my life. So I've never looked for it or searched for it or longed for it necessarily in, in ways that some people do sometimes. So early on in that relationship, there were a lot of just expectations and this idea of, of giving with expectations of getting back. Whereas I was maybe a little bit more in the middle where maybe I didn't give quite as much, but I also didn't expect anything in return. And and these sorts of ideas of all future focused of like, you know, things like marriage and kids were brought up fairly early and me being kind of naive to the situation wasn't like, we're not talking about this right now. And I didn't run immediately. So I was like, oh yeah, I just kind of like, let it be like, I don't know, maybe all girls are like this, whatever. We'll, we'll see what happens. But it, it turned into just a lot of those expectations and, and continuous sort of expectations that I didn't feel like I was having. So it sort of ended kind of like we both felt it, but then it wasn't like that clean kind of very nice breaking off point it was just kind of like I don't think this is working and it was kind of like from my end it was like I'm not who you want me to be or need me to be right now and then it was over and that led a few months later to more phone calls of like how horribly things were handled Mm -hmm. and blah 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 but yeah that that is um where I was at but I've, I've never necessarily felt like I needed anything which I guess is kind of a decent mentality to have with things but Mm. yeah then I sometimes go too far where I'm like I don't I don't want I don't want anything (laughs) yeah and then it's like too far and it's like bro just like hang out in the middle like Like, chill for a minute (laughs) yeah things will happen they happen like you're not in control anyway I was gonna say that you know that was a beautiful beautiful uncoupling but I think one of the you know I think everyone has their story of what woke them up and 
you know, it's either by choice or by circumstance. And I think that, you know, I, the boyfriend I had before the last one was completely blind. He was actually disabled. Like he couldn't see at all. And I think I found a lot of comfort in that because of my background, you know, where everything was measured on physical appearance, there was something really deep in being seen by someone who can't see me um, and loved by someone who can't see me, who doesn't know what I look like at all, but still is attracted to me for some reason. Right. So that really brought me closer to my true self as well, that experience. And a lot of people, um, it ended horribly. Like he cheated on me. Actually, it was terrible, really, really bad, bad, bad breakup. But people said to me, Taylor, like what kept you there for so long after he was so terrible to you? And I was like, you know, when you're, I, I fell in love with this man. I loved him so much, but people were constantly telling me you're so special. Wow. You're such a unique soul. Like you're such a special person for being with a blind guy. Like you could be with anyone and you're choosing this guy. Like, wow. And it got to my ego. Right. And I, and I, a part of me subconsciously was attached to, you know, my self-worth came from being with a blind man because I was being treated like a special person everywhere I went. People would just look at me like I'm an angel sent from heaven. Um, and I didn't see myself that way, but eventually subconsciously I did. And it didn't matter if he cheated on me or treated me terribly. I held on to that so tight. And I feel like it taught me so much about really understanding that it's about two holes coming together and not finding your other half, not finding anything in the other person that's going to complete you or anything in the other person that's going to contribute to your self-worth, uh, no matter who it is, whether it's for good or bad, you know, people really um, get that. I think there's a lot to learn about relationships. And I think I learned the hard way through many different relationships, but it's just, I think relationships teach us so much. Like, so even the bad breakups taught me so, 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 so much in life, which led to also wanting to have a peaceful breakup after that. I was like, let's do this the right way. Let's do this the conscious way, please. <laughs> My husband and I also did what Ray did as we moved off the grid. We built a cabin from the ground up, learned to milk goats and make cheese and compost our toilets and everything. And we ended up, um, we were drinking on a regular basis at that point. And we ended up having, I ended up having an affair. Like we fell out of love. I had a, an incredibly intense affair and it destroyed us to like, it, so we broke up. And so we were separated for two years and it was like the most valuable experience of our lives because we basically couldn't survive without each other. We were in such a the most dark place that we'd ever been in in our lives without each other. And so we were able to, from this place of complete beyond dumpster fire, build a, a bridge of survival. So sometimes like, sometimes I just want to bring voice to the fact that it's okay to be so um, broken in such a dumpster fire and so destroyed that you reach for that goddamn life-saving hand. And our, because of that bridge that we built in the darkest of nights of our relationship, we now, I mean, it's just, uh, it's incredible. I'm starting to, you know, understand um, just this deep, deeper sense of love that I had no idea that I would ever comprehend. I mean, that's amazing. So it's like that bridge in the darkness was worth everything. And, and it was, it was dark, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, it's so important to go through those moments of discomfort where everything that you've relied on for that, just that sense of stability and familiarity kind of gets ripped out from under you. And I said before, when I was younger that, you know, if I'm not terrified, I'm not learning. And um, that's very much the case is that it's when everything's being stripped away, everything I relied on for false certainty and control that all of a sudden I recognize what's real. 
what's there. And I can run from that. I can resist it. I can try and cover it up with all kinds of ideas and assumptions to give myself that false certainty again. But as soon as I do, I end up back in conflict. I end up back in a relationship with my images rather than with my reality. And so it's so important to occasionally just torch the entire structure of who you think you are, bring it right down to ash and then rebuild rebuild from there. So funny because the house, that cabin that we built with the living roof, like off the grid on my family's land, it did burn down um, a year after, um, you know, we, we ended up getting back together, of course, but um, losing it was so beautiful. And I have a friend of mine who's doing all sorts of self-work. And one of the comments that someone said to her that has stuck with her forever is you've got to burn your own house down. And to her, it means her ego. And to me, I look back at that experience of the way I lived before with my husband. You know, um, I even wrote on the, the walls of that cabin that built, you know, I really was just, we were just so naive in our own lost world. But if we hadn't gone through that and if we hadn't lost the house and then together we quit drinking, that was a huge part of it. Um, it's just a, a whole different life. So burn that house down, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's an awesome analogy. I think for a lot of people, it just comes back to their idea of themselves and their identity and something kind of profound thing that I've, I've, I think I mentioned on the podcast one or two episodes ago, but it was the moment that kind of triggered me to start posting content. Finally, it was after knowing that I wanted to for a long time. And I kind of went through this morning routine where I imagined being old and thinking back on my life and what I regretted. And every single morning for like a year and a half, it was not creating content. And none of that time I was creating content. I just knew that I would regret it at some point, but there were still some sort of limiting beliefs about myself. I didn't think that I was a good speaker. I didn't think that I was confident. I didn't think that I could articulate things very well. I didn't like my voice. All of these things were constantly running through my head. And so at work one day, my boss had us record a client call and make us listen back to it and just like critique ourselves. So I recorded it. It was like a weekly call that I would run. And afterwards I was like, oh, that was like normal call, whatever. And there were points where I was like, oh, that question took me a while to answer, didn't articulate it very well. And I listened back to the recording and it went like way better than I thought. And all those times that I thought that I was like taking a while to answer, it was like a split second. So that made me realize that this idea of myself that I had built up for the past close to probably 10 years in my head wasn't true. And as soon as I listened back to that and got done, I was like, my voice doesn't sound as weird as I thought. I was able to articulate all of those things pretty well. I was able to speak pretty fluidly throughout the entire call. Maybe this idea of myself that I've had this entire time wasn't true. So for me, that was like burning down my house, this idea of myself that I had had for so long. I was like, all right, here we go. And like the next week I made a YouTube vlog and then posted some of it on TikTok and it went viral and then the rest was sort of history. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. And are the ashes still there? Yeah, they're still there. Is there still sometimes something? Yes. Sure there is, but it's okay. You know, that's a, a newfound freedom. Yeah. I think that for me, um, you know, I think because I was so, so bullied and subjected to so much judgment for physical appearance and things like that as a kid, that it didn't matter ever what I actually looked like. I always just felt so not good enough, not pretty enough, not this enough, not skinny enough, all of that, which I, and I speak about this openly because it, it comes in, it, it comes in the form of something superficial, but so many people struggle with this, especially girls. And 
if there's one thing that mushrooms did for me is make me feel beautiful genuinely. Like, I don't think I feel prettier than I do when I take mushrooms <laughs> because there's something to be said about that because it is a real thing. I know unbelievable. Like I walk around, like I'm the most beautiful thing. And I think the biggest aha moment that I had that I think from this moment, from that moment on, I never could look at myself and say something mean or negative about my face or what I look like, no matter what it is. No, even if I look good, bad, doesn't matter. Is that I had this moment where I was on shrooms. I was feeling really bad about myself. I was in Hawaii. I was by myself. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to my little plant friends and have them help me out here because I know they do that. It's supposed to help me. And I remember looking at the trees and saying, holy shit we're all like trees. Like I would never go outside and be like, that tree is too big and that tree is too small and that tree is lacking some leaves. And that tree is a little bit tilted to the left. Right. (laughs) I was like, holy shit, we're all trees and all these trees are beautiful. And there isn't one tree. Okay. Maybe there's some trees that are, you're like, wow, that's a fucking pretty ass tree, but there's trees that have a function that is more impressive than the way it looks. And from that moment on, I was like, oh my God, we're all just trees. (laughs) I share this with so many people because it was such a deeply profound moment to just accept that we are all, all beautiful genuinely and tapping into that feeling, even for that, those few hours has stayed with me since it doesn't go away. It's like, even when I try to be mean to myself, I'm like, I can't like that, that stayed with me for so long. So I really do just, I'm so grateful that I, that I got to even to a point where I was open to trying things like that. Cause I've always been very skeptical and scared of those things because of my past and my community and the culture that I come from. And I'm so grateful for my That's story. so interesting. That's yeah. a great insight. I had the same kind of insight in the rainforest, except that of course it's, it's the rainforest. And so not only are you seeing trees, but half of those trees are growing out of the remains of old trees trees right like they're literally growing out of of the the former experiences of life and and so it really dawned on me that that's exactly what we're doing and this kind of leads back to what you were saying earlier about looking at the world being patient for the last 20 years it's just when you see change is constant and that it's it doesn't need to be hurried because change that's hurried doesn't tend to last right and then you start to realize that we're all trees like you said and and as we grow we make room for other trees to grow and then when we are no longer here the other trees that are still us grow out of us right and so we're all just one mind wherein we're all different thoughts and interacting with one another to create new thoughts and new insights in in one giant collective evolution it's 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 inspiring when you look at it but it's easy to to lose track of of how much it's happening when you fall into your idea of the world and we have to bring the conversation back to the default mode network. There's this doctor who's a leader in psychedelics right now, um, Dr. R. Coleman. And he says that, you know, MDMA is a heart opener. LSD is a denial buster, but psilocybin heals trauma. And so when we are, because this is a physical real thing, when you, um, I've been, you know, teaching microdosing classes and just doing all this work, um, people do feel more, more beautiful. Why? Because we release that default mode network. We have a serotonergic effect and we heal our trauma. We are, when we're doing that work, we are essentially so authentically beautiful. Amen. And I think that this also ties back to that idea of like, I think seeing yourself as separate or seeing yourself as one with everything, like how could you call yourself ugly if you're one with everything? Like you look at, when I look at the sunset, when I look at the sky, when I look at the most beautiful flower, I'm like, if I acknowledge that what's true in one atom is true for this whole universe and which, and I'm made up of all of it, then how dare I even call myself ugly when I can look at a sunset and call it beautiful? Cause we're, we are one with everything around us. And 
it's actually, like you said, when I disconnect from that feeling of, you know, there's Taylor and then there's the world, then yeah, there's a lot to say about Taylor. But when I see myself as the world, and it's pretty hard to look at this world and call it ugly, because it's a pretty, pretty beautiful world out there. Honestly, like I'm taken aback and mind blown by the simplest, smallest things every single day. Absolutely. It also makes um, jealousy and envy nonsensical. I mean, oh, I, I've had people come even. up to me and they'll say like, oh, I just brought, I bought this brand new boat for half million dollars and I'm stoked for them. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And they get really confused. They're like, why don't you feel like less of a person? <laughs> well, why would I? <laughs> like, I'm just yes. happy for you because you're me and I just got a sweet boat through you. And that's yeah. very much how I look at it. And, and so it, it changes the conversation. You don't even have to change. It's kind of like what you were saying earlier. It's like, I don't, I don't go out to preach this. I just embody whatever it is I've witnessed and experienced. And to the point where somebody said it to me once where they're like, you've gone so far the other direction, you don't even recognize it. Right. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Very happy for you. Very happy for you. And I, and I think that yesterday I was with a friend who was like, she was talking about comparing herself to this other girl and they come from a similar background and they're both singers and they kind of look alike and they kind of have the same style. And I said, you are only comparing yourself to her because you 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 still haven't recognized that as much as we are one, there is a part of you that nothing in this world could ever resemble because yes, we are one with everything, but we all have our own unique light that we share. Like there is no, there are no two trees that are actually the same. That's what makes all the trees beautiful because you cannot find two of the same tree, right? And that's something that I'm also starting to understand that there is only one me. There will never be another me and there never has been another me. And that in and of itself makes me so limited addition. And it doesn't make sense to compare, right? Like a mango tree makes mangoes and it's not trying to make coconuts. Like it can't make coconuts. It's not supposed to, because it would make really, really shitty mangoes if it was trying. So like, we really have to, at the same time, seeing ourselves as everything, also tap into that part of us that makes us uniquely ourselves which is also so so beautiful and so unique and one of one cannot be compared to anything truly that yeah. also brings to the conversation of, of everyone who came before to bring you to who you are today in our dna the millions of of um, our ancestors and it's a it's a real interesting conversation. It's really hard to conceptualize, but it's like one of my favorite things. I mean, every single relationship of love and trying to survive on this planet brought you so full of your own DNA. And there was that recent study with mice. Uh, Andrew, I'm sure you saw this, where um, if you a mice was electrocuted each time it, it smelled a cherry blossom. And so for 20 generations, these mice ice would not smell a cherry blossom. So not only in our own authentic beauty are we who we were before us, but we are also in the way we respond to the world. So it's like, it, it the work are we're doing- Are you Native doing, American, Tanya? Because I see bit. that post, same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome too. And um, understanding like how unique you are, but also realizing that when it comes to judgment and like worrying about what other people think of you, like logically, it doesn't make any sense. And the way I try to describe it is realizing that there's a different version of you inside of everyone's mind. Like everyone has their own unique judgment and perception of who you are as a person, your idea of you, but there's only one you. And yet, especially for us who, you know, post content publicly and whatnot, there's like tens of thousands of versions of us existing in the world. So to try and live your life based on other people's perceptions and opinions of you is completely futile because it's completely impossible. You can't be tens of thousands or millions of versions of you. There's only one you. So logically, 
basing your worth and how things are and who you are off of how everyone else thinks of you doesn't make sense because you can't be all of those versions of you. You're only one. So you might as well prioritize the perception, the judgment that matters and makes you happy and do what you want with this life, because that's the only one that matters to you. And that's the only one that could ever matter. Yeah. Taking responsibility for our own perception is just huge. Yes. And also just being okay to let go of the things that are like the, the ones that don't match. Right. Like I think we hold on to, I had this whole other experience with like followers and the, my relationship to followers. Like if I start showing these parts of me, I'm going to lose these people. And it's like, but I actually, for every person I lost, I gained another five people that are like, I also like Kanye West. <laughs> I'm like, cool. I love that. Great. Let's bond. Right. So it's like, there were so many parts of me. I was afraid of showing because, you know, I didn't want to lose people, but they're, they're not my people. And that's okay. Like, I, I love the quote. I don't remember where I heard it. Just like, to burn every bridge that isn't love or truth. And I really try to live my life that way. If it's stemmed in fear, if it's stemmed in something that's not love or truth, then, then I burn that bridge and I'm okay with that. Like I wanna walk on, on that path, you know? So it's it takes courage though. I think all of these things take so much courage and that's some, a word that people don't use enough. Like we say, you could do this and that and it's all sounds so simple, but it really, I think that's the word that goes behind all of it. Like you need to be brave enough to seek truth, no matter where it's going to lead you, no matter what you're going to find out. It's almost like seeking truth, knowing you don't know what it's going to bring up, bring you, you know, what it's going, where it's going to take you is the scariest thing, but sometimes people know where it's going to take them and they're afraid of doing that. Right. So I just, I just help people have the courage to seek truth. Like it'll always bring you to a better place, no matter what it forces you to do first. <laughs> We have, to get to the unknown, we have to let go of the known. That, that's it. There's no way to get to something that we've never experienced by holding on to what we've experienced. It just doesn't work. And, and so it's the same with me. I talk to people and I'm just like, you know, just allow yourself to recognize that you're never your idea of yourself. It doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. It doesn't matter what concept it might be. You're not a concept. You can't be a concept. You are not some superficial idea. You can change and do change constantly allow yourself to be that, allow yourself to change. And, and then you will just unfold in the world around you and we'll all witness that happening. But if you get in the way, all of a sudden it's like you're, you're adding static to the signal. Like it's just not coming through as clear. And so we all, all suffer because of your suffering, right? And so this is where you really start coming to the idea that we are all in this together, that through ending my suffering, I'm making it easier for other people to end their suffering. It's not that I can end it for them is that I can show them that it's possible. I can even just talk about the fact that it's possible. And not everybody's gonna follow that, not everybody's gonna want that, because again, the devil we know seems very enticing, right? But as soon as they've realized that the devil they know is a devil, then they will have the priority themselves to let go of, of what they think they've wanted their entire life, and they'll experience what they've been. Yeah, I see my family, um, people who I thought would never seek this truth or ever go through any type of transformation that at least they're not doing it knowingly and definitely unaware of it as it's happening. But I see them becoming more conscious, more open to talking about things vulnerably just because of the transformation I'm going through and the energy I carry and the, where I meet them in conversation, right? Even when I'm trying to like not poke at them, it's just it is contagious. I see it in my friends, my friends who gave up on pursuing their life as singers. When they see me post content, they're like, oh, maybe I could also show up online and sing online because Taylor's doing it. So I feel like we, we sometimes forget that this journey we're going on isn't just for us. Like 
I think it actually helps me to remember that. I'm like, you know what? I'm doing this for my brother too. I'm doing this for my parents. I'm doing this for all my friends. Like it's the highest way to serve other people is to actually serve yourself and to put yourself first and go through these things. It's not selfish. It's not egotistical. It's actually the opposite. It's you are actually going to carry a light that is going to spread further than you could probably see, even in the smallest interactions, the way you speak to someone when you go buy a coffee. I see that just giving eye contact and smiling and sharing this like moment of presence and connection is so powerful. And yeah, it's just, sometimes it feels like I'm, who am I to go through this journey now by myself and leave everyone behind. But I say, walk through the door, then you could bring other people with you. Sometimes there's no room for them when you're walking through the door in the beginning. So trust that you're going through the door to awaken for everyone you love and everyone in your life will feel the effects of that. It's not just for you. Absolutely. I love that. And and it comes back to just understanding that all you have to do is be the change that you want to see. You don't have to go outside of yourself and force other people to change because as Taylor, you mentioned earlier, like I've been in the same boat, like trying to usher people and be like, no, you don't have to live like this. Like, like observe those thoughts that you're having. They're not the truth. You are not who you think you are. And, and all of these, you know, belief systems, you don't have to believe in things necessarily. And what I've come out of it is that you're not going to, force people to do things. You can show them all the things in the world and, and get them, you know, 99% of the way with your information, but it always comes from within. So relaxing into that sort of understanding that you don't have to go out and change everyone else. All you have to do is change yourself and express that fully. And inevitably things will change because we are the world. We are it. Like we are the universe embodied. So as we change, so does the world as above, so below. So that's all you have to do because if you try and go beyond that, mm-hmm. it's it's like becomes this sort of egotistical sort of desire and yes. you're no longer seeing yourself in everyone else. You're seeing yourself as separate, trying to help people outside of yourself. And I feel like we see that quite a bit in the spiritual, in the spiritual community. It's like trying to help other people because you yourself feel bad. So in reality, are you trying to help other people or are you trying to help yourself feel better because you feel bad about how things are? Right. I I also think that the reason it doesn't work and it actually does cause harm is that because even if you don't intend to judge people, people don't change when they feel like they're being judged. And in order for people to change, they need to feel very safe and accepted and, and really to climb out of that hole, you really have to feel like you're not being judged in any way. And when someone's coming and I always give this example and it always hits for people. So I'm going to share it here that, you know, when you have someone who like starts to work out and eat healthy and like, he's like in his groove and you go to dinner with them and they start commenting on, Oh, did you know that like olive oil has like this many calories or like starts telling you, like start commenting on what you're eating. You're like, bro, shut the fuck up. I'm not trying to lose weight. Like you do you I'll do me. And you actually end up feeling like I don't I don't want to do this even more now because like you're kind of you feel judgment you feel like there's some underlying like he's talking to you from above right but when you have a friend who starts to get really fit and eats really healthy and starts looking amazing but doesn't say anything to you just shows up looking like that you're like so what are the what are the tips like where how'd you get there you know what I mean like please like filming in on this and I always tell people when you just embody it people who need it will come to you I can't even tell you how many people are like, listen, Taylor, you're like drinking some secret sauce. So what's the secret sauce? I need to know what it is. Right. So people will ask for help and that's a completely different thing. And it's nice to be of service to those people, but don't give unsolicited advice. Like don't go trying to save people that aren't looking to be saved. Again, I think it just causes more harm and it actually pulls people in the opposite direction. They're like, oh, this spirituality thing is not for me. You're crazy. Like they start to feel like they have to throw the judgment back at you. So 
That was excellently said. That's true. I mean, that's. Have you ever read Power Versus Force? I don't know if I, either of you are familiar with the book by uh, David Hawkins. It, it's interesting in, in that basically over a decade or more of, of doing uh, muscle testing on people, asking the body, not the mind, yes or no questions in regards to the scale of consciousness. You know, if, if consciousness uh, levels of consciousness were on a scale of zero to a thousand, anger would be higher than 150, for example. And so the body would say yes or no based on whether or not it went weak or strong. And he repeated this, this test over tens of thousands of people for decades. And he created a uniform scale of consciousness based on the answers that were provided by the muscles of the body that were being tested, not the minds. So an example uh, that he used, for example, was he'd have a picture of Adolf Hitler inside a manila, a manila envelope. And he would ask the person ho holding the envelope, the, the, the person inside or the person on the picture in this envelope is destructive, yes or no? And the answer would be the same for a neo-Nazi or not. The body would know whether it was destructive or, or creative. And so he created this scale of consciousness as a result asking like, where's, where's desire? Where's anger? Where's all of this? And, and courage was one of the pivotal points where we switch over into a new mentality because now we're no longer chasing the carrot. We're not running from the stick. It's not an egotistical thing. We're not you know, running from consequence or chasing a reward. It's just moving forward because that's what life is. And so Hawkins was very much talking about how beneath our egotistical mind, beneath what we want to think, we are actually feeling what is. We are actually an extension of this, of this singular awareness that is totally aware of what's destructive and what's constructive and otherwise in, in, in the world of duality if we just allow ourselves to feel it, if we just allow ourselves to, to embody it. And so what's interesting to me is that as soon as we get out of our own way, as soon as we start to feel free in ourselves, it's like you were saying, people start to find you. And it's not that they start to find you, it's just all of a sudden you're open to them being able to access you. You're playing a part where you can fit into their story. And so there was never any division to begin with, it's that we divided ourselves. It's like, no, I'm not willing to play my part in this machine right? Because I'm too busy thinking about what my part should be or fearing what my part might be. As soon as we get out of the way, seamless integration, as always. It's like we just fall into line with everybody else's dream because it's all one consciousness. It's just amazing to me that even in martial arts, the same thing is true. The less you think about yourself, the faster you are, the more you flow, the more you can experience fluidity. It's just practicing that. But to practice that, we have to continuously come back to this insight, right? I'm locking myself up by thinking about this too much. I have a question for Ray. I just, I just wanted to ask, um, sometimes it's like, I, I feel like I lead from a place that's really deeply conscious um, and tell myself, you know, like I really try to, to go about, even when I do set goals for myself, right? There is structure for me. I do have goals and I really try to go about achieving them in a way that's not based in ego, but it, sometimes it feels like, well, the system is based on rewarding, you know, it's really based on ego, right? It really is based on look at me and I, you know, I want to, that's how you attract people. That's how you attract, make, get power, influence, et cetera. And although I want to use that power for good, although I want to build that audience for a good reason, sometimes it feels like I have to play the game to win, to get to that place. Right. And it's always like going back and forth, especially being conscious as your content creator. It's a really weird place to be because, you feel like you're playing into this system that you don't really want to play into, but at the same time, you're doing it to spread good in the world. But at the same time, you kind of have to follow these rules to, to succeed at it. 
And I just would love to hear what you, what you think about this, because it's like, sometimes I feel like, well, my most conscious self doesn't even want to be on TikTok at all. Honestly, <laughs> I don't even want to have an, a phone to be honest, but there is a part of me that feels like, okay, well, as long as this exists, there needs to be people that are using it for good and blah, blah, blah. But to succeed at it, to really reach the mo most amount of people, sometimes it feels like you reach a certain point where it's like, I kind of have to give into the way the system goes to reach more people. Um, Agreed. To some yeah. degree. I mean, I faced the same thing when I was life coaching because immediately when I started my business, I'm like, I don't want to call myself a life coach. I don't want to call myself anything, but same. guy who knows stuff doesn't go very well on a business card. Right. So nobody wants to come and you know, look up in the phone book, guy who knows stuff now, I just aged my dated myself there by mentioning a phone book. But um, the fact is, is that you have to kind of work within the environment that you're a part of. And at the moment, we're in an illusionary environment. And so you have to play the part that it expects you to play to some degree. And, and it's kind of like going undercover. You know, I was saying this to Andrew. It's like we're all in an insane asylum. And every once in a while, you'll catch somebody with that glimmer in their eye. You're like, aha you see, shh, we'll talk later, you know, and that's very much kind of what's going on. And so you can't come into the world all like, I am divinely inspired, look at me, because immediately people get all kinds of assumptions about you, and they won't listen to you, as you've noticed, even just talking about, you know, vaguely spiritual concepts, it's like, oh, I have an idea of that, and they go, and they go running. So you become this adapt, uh, this adaptation machine, you become a chameleon, as it were, and you have to be in order for them to be able to look at you in a way that's comfortable enough for them mm. to let their walls down, right? And, and so, yeah, play the game to some degree, as long as you recognize it's a game, as long as you recognize that your value does not raise or lower according to how many right, people are right, listening to right. you. Right, which is so hard. Goal. It's so hard even with that, that awareness. Like I say, negative comments don't get to me because positive comments are not what I, what I base my confidence on. So like, you can't really take away, like it's a, I don't put my worth and my value in there, but it is hard, man. Like even with the awareness, like the more people that are just showing you love and following you, you're like, how do I create enough space between me and me online so that I don't let this get to me? Because sometimes it feels like even with that awareness, it's hard to, to manage and control. And Andrew, I'd love to hear how you manage it because you have more followers than I do. So yeah, I, I, I just want to butt in and just talk a little bit about allowing ourselves to ebb and flow and when you feel like that incredible inspiration of creativity like use it for every single morsel that you have and when you feel like going inward it is just like you know the process of the moon like go with that flow and the more you honor that flow that ebb yes. and flow the more you really honor your higher self girl last week i was making six tiktoks a day this week i can't think of an idea for one tiktok so like i'm definitely just like i don't give a fuck about the rules i don't know what i'm supposed yeah, to do i don't no know rules. I'm like, you guys, the ones who the real ones are going to be here next week. I, I cannot force myself to do what is just not flowing from me naturally, but I'm like, yeah. I probably should have kept some of those in the drafts for this week or whatever. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> thousand followers. So not that much really. Um, however, I did just put my account to private because I'm just trying to see if this amazing job opportunity. And I just didn't want to be seen talking about LSD as much as I did, you know, and I'm okay with it. I'm like, there's going to be a time that it goes public and I'm just go go fire but right now totally don't care just closing down for just a moment and andrew i want to just hear what you have to say about this because you're kind of you're kind of a big deal on tiktok now good <laughs> god oh man um yeah as ray knows because we have lots of discussions about this it's it's a turbulent thing for me for sure that's like the best word i've used been able to find to describe it and 
I think it's just because because for me, it's a lot of self judgment that like I should be doing something I shouldn't be doing something else. And a lot of times, you know, even having a typical nine to five job in digital advertising, like when I'm doing that work, I feel like I should be doing content when I'm doing content, I feel like I should be doing that work. And it's always this pull back and forth and just allowing myself the grace to understand that it's okay, no matter what I'm doing and understanding that like, it's okay to not post videos for a week. Like it will be okay if you're not feeling it in that moment. But I think for me, just through all of this, and especially since July, when I sort of, you know, woke up in a way like a, a more profound way than I had before and kind of understood that I am this awareness of here and now that is universal. And I am sort of everyone in that way. Uh, just keeping that in mind that Andrew is an idea. Andrew is a fiction. Like I don't, the less I identify with him, the less there is for me to grab onto egotistically to bring myself up, but there's also so much less to fear and worry about because there is nothing to lose, but at the same time, there's nothing to gain. So something kind of along these lines that came up today was, was actually, I was on a podcast. It was Sean T's podcast. He's like a fitness influencer and he has been following me for a while and asked, it's like, Andrew, this has been an awesome conversation. Like, when did you realize that you were different? And I was like, oh, I don't really like that question because I don't feel like I'm different. And I had already kind of expressed the, the story of me like kind of waking up and how I don't feel like necessarily identify with Andrew. And so I, I kind of went back to that and I'm like, well, the less me that there is involved, the less there is to feel different. So while I will understand that people will see me in a certain way in a certain light I also understand that everyone has a different idea of me so I don't allow any of them to be the truth and even my own perception of myself I don't deem to be the truth in that way so just keeping that in mind that I'm not who I think I am I'm not who other people think I am I'm not who other people think I think I am just <laughs> that identity aspect of it has helped along the way but it is just giving yourself grace through it all. And, and when you get judgmental of yourself, not judging your judgments is a big thing that's, that's been the case for me. And just understanding that it is a progressive journey and it does ebb and flow every step of the way. Sometimes the ebbs are lower than the flows at times or more frequent than the flows, but it's, it's just about typically getting myself out of the way and understanding that myself is the root of any suffering or, or feelings of, of worry or lack or, or anything that I feel. Nicely said. Nicely said. And it is. It's, it's funny how the ebbs and flows, I always noticed as, as you take yourself less seriously at, at first, you're still going through the ups and downs and they're pretty extreme in general. And then the ups and downs start to happen a little bit more time apart like there's a, a bigger duration between them and then the ups and downs aren't quite as high and low anymore and so you almost naturally start finding your equilibrium it's not that you don't go up and down anymore it's just that you don't necessarily feel like you're unbalanced when you do so it's like you start to get used to the idea that your vastness unfolding is just what is you don't have to have an idea necessarily of what that is as it's happening just allow yourself to go through it and, and we were talking a bit about um epiphenomenalism in, an, in a previous episode about how our thoughts actually come after the intention to do something, right? So we're already doing something and then we translate it through thought and, that, and then we convince ourselves that the thought 
is what's making it happen, but it was already happening. We're just experiencing it happening through thought. So it's very much in the same vein. Um, this has been a great conversation. I just had, I know we have to wrap this up because Andrew has a hard stop in about 15 minutes. I've really enjoyed this. I'm so glad that you were both able to join us. Um, we're just going to wrap up here, but I do want to mention that we have a growing Discord server uh, for our audience on Dualistic Unity. At the moment, I think we're almost 120 members, and it's all people talking about this very conversation. It's all very much in, in the same vein. So if you would like to join us on that Discord server, I know that the audience and the members there would love to have access to your insights and your experiences. Um, likewise, we do roundtables fairly frequently. We do group chats, things like that. And I'm always up for a good conversation. So if either of you ever want to do this again, reach out to us and we would for be sure. more than happy to, to have you on or even just in a one-on-one -on -one situation on maybe TikTok Live or Instagram or something like that. We can just shoot the brief. Um, before we wrap up here, I just wanted to uh, give you both an opportunity to let everybody know where they can find you um, and, of course, what you're up to and um, if they have any questions, how best to contact you. So, uh, Tanya, we'll start with you. Thank you. Um, this has been amazing. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. My website is tanyagilbert.com. It's T-A-W-N-Y-A, so a little bit funny. I'm really interested in gathering nurses and empowering them right now. So if you're a nurse out there who's wondering where are the other psychedelic nurses, um, I'm really leaning into creating more retreats um, for nurses. So that's what I'm up to. I'm kind of pausing some other stuff that I was doing previously. My TikTok is Nurse Brave to the Bone. You can follow me there. And um, oh, no, no, that's my Instagram. Um, sorry about that. My TikTok is Bones of a Nurse. Excellent. And of course, we'll include the information in the description underneath this uh, YouTube video. And if anybody is listening to the podcast and the information is not there, you can just reach out to us at dualisticunity.com and all the information will be there as well. And of course, Taylor. I want to say before I even talk about where you could find me that it is insane to me that I came across Andrew's content, actually some of Ray's content living a completely different life, actually, not even too long ago. I was living in a different country with a boyfriend, with a, living in a different house and if someone would have told me then that I was going to end up here talking to you guys, then I would probably be like, you're insane. And it just got me, this conversation just reminded me how on how much mystery there is in the future and how, you know, exciting life can be, you know, there's beyond what I can even imagine is possible in the present, which, which has been so fun. This entire conversation, I'm like, wow, who would have thought, you know, like, it's pretty cool. So thank you for your time. And also thank you for reaching out to me. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Life by Taylor. And honestly, if you connected in any way to anything I said, then there's so much more to hear and to connect on and to speak about. I love talking to people. I love connecting with people. I have a weekly call with some random guy in Spain that's Irish that I met through TikTok. And I talked to a bunch of people who are just willing to connect and listen. So just reach out if you're looking to connect with a fellow human and if we vibe, because that's what matters. And I love it. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, both of you for joining us. This is an awesome experience. This is definitely a part, a big part of what we want to do with our season two as the new year turned over was have more group conversations about these things. And they've both gone, this is our second one we've had so far and it, they've gone incredibly well. And it's just fun to have more perspectives involved in this conversation. And it's clear to see that things are things are changing slowly but surely, but it's happening and it's fun to be a part of. Absolutely. No, I'm I'm always inspired. And I know from talking to people frequently on Discord and otherwise I get messages from people just saying, 
this conversation doesn't exist anywhere. I can't find anybody to talk to about this stuff. There's nobody in my life who wants to have this discussion, or at least to the depth that we tend to go. And while right now that's that's happening online in terms of, of content creators and whatnot, as more people start to realize that this conversation is happening, that it does exist, it's not just you going through it, they will start to perpetuate in, in their own life and slowly will fill in the cracks until this conversation becomes the dominant mentality in the same way that the ego currently is. And so there's some change happening and it's beautiful to watch it happening right. through each person individually and making it collective. And we're, and we're all so different, right? Like that's the beauty of it. You, there isn't a type of person that's spiritual or conscious or seeks awareness. Like it's for everyone. And like, I just looking at this screen, I'm like, wow, like four very different people from such different parts of life in the world. It's just having a conversation that feels so natural and, and we connect on so easily. So please God, more people will just see it and join us and it'll all go good. <laughs> it'll all be good. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, everyone. Tanya, Taylor, thank you for joining us. Next roundtable is coming up uh, next month, so we'll let everybody know what's happening there. I think it's going to be art and expression, but we're not entirely sure. Have yourself an excellent week, and we will see you on next episode. Bye, everyone.